Welcome to Third Fridays, the monthly legal talk show from Lois LLC featuring attorney Christian Cisan. This is the original forum in which real attorneys discuss workers' compensation issues, share their opinions, and engage in colorful conversations. This show showcases diverse perspectives of attorneys handling workers' comp cases, including case law trends, practical litigation strategies, and hot topics. Here's your host, Christian Cisan. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the April 2022 edition of the Third Fridays podcast. My name is Christian Cisan, and I'm back with you again uh, after a quarter of the year is over. Time has flown by so quickly uh, this year. And last month, we had my partner Karen Vincent on to talk about a few things developing in the state of New Jersey. Uh, Sometimes uh, we think that this is so commonplace, but Based on the last couple of years, the impact of returning to in-person court for New Jersey attorneys has been uh, a bit of a change. And Karen is very excited or was very excited to tell us about how that impacts her clients in New Jersey. We also talked about a new parking lot case uh, in 2022 that, um, well, It wasn't a new parking lot case in 2022, but a new legislative update to an old parking lot case that will determine how employers are handling liability and responsibility for injuries occurring before the claimant or petitioner even gets to work. Uh, A little modification of the coming and going rule specifically with respect to parking lots. Today, we're going to talk about a a few things. Uh, One, we're going to debut segments. And I know they're pretty commonplace for podcasts, but maybe this podunk uh, little operation I have going here needs a facelift every once in a while because what we typically do, and like we did last month with Karen, was just run through 20, 30, 40 minutes straight of attorney chat. And what we wanted to do was highlight some of our talented paralegals here at Lois Law Firm. So we're actually going to debut a segment uh, featuring them later in the program. But first, I do want to welcome an attorney uh, f- uh, from my office here, Senior Associate Jeremy Janis. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. So, Jeremy, when we talk about uh, a lot of these cases, one thing that we noticed about your population was uh, there's been a little higher success rate in defending employers with respect to surgery requests. And typically speaking, claimants tend to win these requests for a host of reasons. Can you think of why claimants defeat employers when they want to have surgery? Well, I think one thing is they know how to game the system. Everything they do is focused towards the goal of getting a surgery in the future and increasing the value of the claim. Yeah, I I, I would agree, actually. So the, I mean, you mentioned a couple of things that they game the system and that they want to increase the value of the claim. So what about the system like presents opportunities for them to to game it? Like what... What what makes it less cut and dry or maybe more cut and dry for them to say, you know, I just need to go get a surgery and everything's going to be fine? Well, I think first of all, um, except for the uh, an enumerated list of surgeries, most surgeries are pre-authorized. So as long as they follow the guidelines or treatment is consistent with the guidelines up until the date of the surgery, they can just argue they can go get the surgery on their own without even requesting prior authorization. Right. So it's almost like a, a playbook is out there if they want to use it, which kind of makes it available to them and, and setting up a case. But we'll talk about actually how that playbook is available to us and how we can use that uh, to defend them. The other thing you mentioned was increase the value 
of a claim. And I always think that this is just uh, a microcosm of our system in, in and of itself. But, you know, you think about surgery making someone better, right? Surgery is supposed to help you. It's supposed to make you better than you were before. Like, why in workers' compensation does surgery increase the value of your claim? Because a lot of the time it'll make them worse. They're getting surgeries they don't need, inherently don't need. They don't meet the requirements for it, but they decide to get it anyway. Yeah, you know, that's a good point too, right? They're getting surgeries they don't need. And I think our clients, when they look at these cases, they see uh, these fact patterns coming together and they say like, this claimant does not need this surgery. And so it's that red flag that we pick up and go to work on how to defend those claims. So, uh, you know, two recent cases you've had where surgeries... Uh, you know, got disallowed, denied, or rejected by the law judge or the board panel um, have been interesting to us in, in talking about. So why don't you start off with one of them? Give us some facts or some background behind one of the, the first ones you've had. Okay. Uh, one of these cases is a woman uh, that claimed an occupational uh, repetitive use claim, um, essentially to the shoulders from lifting. And about two years later, she goes to... Uh, one of these spinal surgeons, the spinal surgeons, uh, it's one of those doctors that uh, the, they're referred there specifically to get the surgery. The doctor meets. <laughs> right, that's an interesting. She's referred to this surgeon specifically to get the surgery. Is that is that part of the gaming of the system, right? Like we know that this doctor is going to request the surgery, so they're just sending them there anyway? I believe so because uh, it's the same five or six doctors that we see that uh, where the claimant meets with the doctor for the first time, they do a, not even a thorough physical examination of the claimant. They barely review the, the records or, or aren't even provided the MRIs and they determine the claimant's had enough conservative treatment. I'm going to recommend, let's say, a fusion, a spinal fusion or a cervical fusion immediately. Right. Okay. So uh, she goes to this doctor and then what happens? Um one examination, he recommends a ACDF. Which is the is first examination? First examination. The first examination yeah. that he sees, he recommends, oh, Lord, <laughs> it's a, a, an invasive fusion without, you know, I'm sure he's not reviewing her conservative treatment, her physical therapy, any chiro. You know, so he, he recommends it. And how do we react? What, what do we do to defend that, that issue? Well, for this one, we specifically, we had an IME that was, that already took place that said, uh, and essentially stated that he didn't need a surgery. Okay. For, and so do you think that we're going at it from a, he said, she said credibility standpoint, or is there something, something that we can like take from that, that, you know, if this employer used that system, can other employers take it and run with that ball? I think it's got to be a combination of both. Number one, we need to make sure we have IMEs in place periodically. Right. So, oh, so this one, there was an IME that was already in place before the request. Correct. Right. Okay. That's, that's a good point, right? Um, Cause I do say this too, in other cases, getting periodic IMEs early and often, and sometimes clients may not want to spend uh, expenses on an early IME. They might be able to bring the claimant back to work. And I get that. Right. If you think that uh, everything's on the up and up, why spend the extra dollars on um, an IME when the person could come back to work soon? But you mentioned the fact that there are these five, six, seven doctors that always do this thing. 
I think that's the red flag. Once we see those doctors' names on the reports, that should be the first warning sign. Let's let's stop the bleeding now before the official request comes in. And so you're saying that this client had an IME in place to deny any surgery before the surgery request was even made. Correct. And and let's say even if you didn't have that opinion, at the very least, you can get an addendum from that doctor. They're very well aware of the claimant's condition. They've examined them a number of times and they're that puts them in a more credible place than most other doctors right away. Right. So and, and alternatively, right, if we don't have that periodic IME and that request comes in, what is the employer faced with as a prospect of trying to deny this surgery? Um, so specifically, if it's a C4 off, you're stuck in the position of having to schedule an IME essentially in less than 30 days because we need to have that report completed by the 30th day. So it puts us in a very precarious situation. Either we're stuck getting a utilization review or getting a record review from a doctor that's never seen the claimant before. Yeah. Yeah. So like almost defeating that, you know, worry of getting an, an IME very quickly starting with the fact that you already have one is going to be very helpful. So what happened in that uh, occupational claim you're talking about? So for this one, uh, the ACDF was requested. Uh, We did a thorough review of the guidelines uh, for the ACDF, and we were able to question the doctor specifically about each one of the guidelines that were required, and and we were able to prove that they weren't met in cross-examining him. That's And that's a key... Oh, that's a key point. So... Cross-examining the doctor on the guidelines, because we talked about the guidelines being a playbook, right, for the claimant to set up these surgeries. And then now we're bringing it back in to say, you know, we can use this as part of our playbook. It's not just about, is the IME more credible, right? We we know that the IME in these types of uh, cases is more credible, but practically speaking, the judge may not believe that until we elicit those concessions on cross. So... Getting, getting the credibility argument in front of a judge based on the playbook guidelines to cross-examine the doctor is the way to go, right? It's not just who's more credible from a generic standpoint, right? You're not walking into a deposition with a knife to a gunfight, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think the other part of it is these doctors don't know what treatment the claimant had. So you focus on that. You ask question after question about did the claimant do this? Did the claimant do that? Know what is required before getting that surgery and just show they had no clue. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. Also, having that process in place puts you in a position where you know the answer that the doctor is going to give you, right? You know that the doctor doesn't know something or knows something. And tailoring those questions to get those concessions is, is very key. So um, what about uh, another case? Any We had a second case that, that you wanted to talk about too. First one was on an ACDF surgery. So this fusion that got denied by an IME that was already in place. Um, what's your second case? So this one involves a, a, a total knee replacement. So the reason that's a concern is because I, uh, whether or not you guys are aware, it would lead to a minimum schedule loss of use of 35% for the claimant. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's in a that's in a good outcome, right? So yeah. like the most favorable outcome. We talk about how surgeries are supposed to help people, right? Uh, in workers' compensation, they somehow increase the value of the claim because it doesn't make you better. But in the best outcome after a total knee replacement, we're looking at a thirty-five percent schedule loss of use. Uh, you know, a one hundred percent schedule loss of use is two hundred eighty-eight weeks. So. 
uh, I mean, I can't do the quick math in my head, but that's a lot of weeks, even for 30%. Oh yeah. Right? So, uh, 30%, 35% schedule loss of use for a good outcome for a TKR. Uh, so we're already, uh, kind of on the defensive when this type of procedure is being discussed. What happened in your case? So this was a guy that had went and got a knee arthroscopy without getting permission before the claim was even established. So, oh, oh, so he didn't even he just got it right. He just, he just, he got just it. went and got it. Yeah. Okay. And then is he asking for a TKR after that? He is asking oh, for a wow. TKR. This is going back to the well. Okay, I'm I'm actually interested to see how this pans out. So um, he his doctor, the same doctor that that did the surgery without. Requesting permission in the first place. Isn't that say, doctor actually already admitting that the first procedure didn't go well? Like, he's, he's, I'm going to do a procedure without asking you. Then I'm going to ask for another procedure because the first one I did didn't work out. Is, is that like, I, I don't know. Is, 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 is that what you heard, at least in your head? Because that's, that's what I'm hearing. That's right what now. I hear. And I love asking the doctors those questions and then they just deflect. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So the, you're the surgeon that did this arthroscopy. Can you tell us if it went well? Because if he says yes to that, then I almost <laughs> have a basis for denying the TKR because the arthroscopy went well. And then he's going to be put in the position to say it didn't go well, <laughs> that I'm a surgeon who didn't make this go well. Okay. All right. I'm just setting the table. That's all. <laughs> all right. So this was another one where he had an IME in place, an IME oh, nice. that had seen the, doc, the claimant numerous times, and he provided a favorable re- report for us. Right. Almost like... We've put together a theme for our yeah. listeners today, Jeremy. So uh, uh, an IME was already in place. Did it occur after the arthroscopy and before the TKR? It did. Okay. So the IME says what about uh, the total knee replacement? That it's not medically necessary and that he doesn't meet the requirements. He doesn't meet the requirements. So at this point, we have an IME that actually knew the requirements of the guidelines. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. That's that's a big point, right? When we have those surgery requests, the guidelines are available not just to us and to the claimants and the claimants' attorneys. They're available to doctors too, right? So the doctor can review those guidelines to actually make his report more credible, right? Yes. And and what happened after that report came out? How did we did, did we go through the same cross examination? We did process? go through the same cross examination process for this one. The doctor again, surprisingly, did not know conservative treatment that was performed after he performed the surgery. And I guess, you know, sometimes I look at it, it's like, are we providing even more info to the claimants to game the system? You'd think that maybe they'd listen to the podcast or listen to our webinars and say like, wait, so my doctor just doesn't just needs to know what's happened to me before he or she requests the surgery and wink, wink, like maybe, like maybe if your doctor wasn't so focused on getting a surgery and resetting your case, maybe the doctor would be more interested in your past medical treatment to determine if you actually need this surgery. So did we do the depositions on this one? We did do depositions. So the other part of it is that the guy was 49 and a half years old and uh, there's a requirement they're supposed to be 50, but the hearing was before he turned 50. So the judge also found that one of the requirements had not been met. Meaning that if he was younger than the age threshold, then maybe that there is, or there are ways that conservative treatment could help him or her, you know, recover. Correct. I mean, they look at BMI, they look whether a standing x-ray was performed, a number of other factors. So like you have to meet all those requirements. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense, right? You're, you're, you can't be overweight 
and then have an invasive knee surgery because that weight will be placed on the leg and probably not make you recover. Correct. So uh, he was too young uh, and there are diagnostics and even factual uh, um, factual considerations Correct. for the claimant to determine, are we in a place where we can do a total knee replacement? So what happens in a case where we, we get the surgery denial? What's like our next step? You know, the claimant wants to reset the case and you've been successful in these two cases to show, you know, no, you're not getting the surgery to reset the case. What's, what is the employer's next step after we secure that win for them? You want to get them to the MMI as quickly as possible after that, because more likely than not, they're going to resubmit that request over and over again until they get it. They want to increase the value of the claim. Right. So uh, using almost that mantra of the periodic IME, like you win, send them back. Let's get an MMI finding. Let's close this case. And let's, instead of resetting the value, let's make it more projectable. Let's say, you know, you're at MMI, this is the amount of treatment you'll need. This is the uh, indemnity that is coming to you, if any, and then deal with it from a more informed perspective. That makes, yeah, exactly. So, you know, Jeremy, as, as a senior associate in the firm, you have these, these wins under your belt. You know, is there anything uh, clients can take away? Like what, what should they be taking away from this conversation that we're having when when they have these surgery requests in their files? Well, I think one thing they should be doing is just reviewing the medicals that come in periodically. The doctor starts talking about surgeries but doesn't request it yet. Get ahead of the game. Think about scheduling IMEs. Um, I think the other thing we can do is just look for procedural defects in these requests as well. It's another way to defeat them. Right. You got to you own the delay, right? Like uh, th- these deadlines, we like to call them as like gotcha, you know, uh, anchor points where it's, yeah. it's, it's almost as if 30 days to get a new IME, like you mentioned, puts us in a really bad position. But if you set it up properly to give yourself a chance for these surgery uh, defenses, then uh, you're well on your way. So Jeremy, thank you for appearing on today's show. Um, I hope that uh, there are more wins in your future like this. Congrats to you for them. And and I'm sure we'll be hearing uh, from you again soon. Thanks. And we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, This is the first time I've ever done something like this. I, I gave a little brief intro during our attorney chat in this episode, but this is a new segment. So I broke up the podcast in two different things, and it actually came about because some paralegals that sit outside of my office wanted to bully me into creating a new segment. Uh, so we have Morgan Celentano and Emily Delanis Molka here today. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. can we get into exactly how this happened? Uh, I came out and seven of you wanted to confront me about being on the podcast, right? How did yeah. that work out? I mean, you know, I was just thinking about it. You've never had a paralegal on the podcast. We are incredibly knowledgeable at this great firm. And I feel like we could really add something. I got to say bullying might be a strong term. I don't know if... Um, I would use peer pressure. Yes, peer pressure. Peer positive pressure. peer pressure. Yes. Right, right. You don't would, want that on the record. It was mostly like you thought you were going to have to do it. Oh, 100%. Right? We thought we were going to have to argue. Right. We thought you would expect us to like argue. A, like an opening, <laughs> an opening argument. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Much and easier. Then, then what happened? And then you said, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> just, you just asked 
And uh, we're like, yeah, let's let's do it, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we tossed around a couple ideas of what to talk about. Uh, we went through so many different titles. Uh, we looked up at look up synonyms of cool words, and uh, we came up with the paralegal minute. Right, like it's been a minute since the paralegal has been on the podcast. Right, and what was your idea, Morgan? We have some like jazzy music, like some. What, what, what did you want to start this segment off with? Yeah, for sure. I think some post-production um, intro music and maybe some outro would really add to the vibes of this section. Yeah, like um, a, I think it'd be very important. Like, a, like news... a police siren in there, too. Oh, yeah. a police siren. Yeah. So, you know, make sure they're awake. Foreshadowing. Oh, but... that, too. Oh, <laughs> a little like, wake up! <laughs> right. Wake up, the paralegal minute is starting. Okay, so, John, if you're, if you're hearing this, as I know you will be, right, uh... Maybe if we could put a little, like a news update, yeah, like breaking news, the paralegal <laughs> minute is starting. Okay. All right. Enough histrionics and games. You know the Spongebob guys. breaking news? Sorry, not to. <laughs> no. Idea. Okay, never mind. Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're keeping that in. We're keeping that in. The Spongebob minute. It sounds exactly what it is. Breaking news. Like, it's like, whatever. Anyway. What if we just had Morgan do that? <laughs> yeah, just put that segment. <laughs> and it's like, we'll just cut that, like, little snippet out. Or did you just hear, like, <laughs> You can talk to my lawyer about uh, using it right. for okay. royalties. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> All right. How many people that are listening to this podcast are still listening? <laughs> if they're still listening, uh, we came up with this idea where we would talk about some crazy fact pattern in our lives. Uh, so, Morgan, this was, like, your idea. So... What what happened in your case? How did we how did we learn this thing that happened? Sure. So we got a ominous email one day from our adjuster who said that she heard from the claimant's attorney that he has been incarcerated. We didn't what? really have <laughs> there was no information beyond that. I mean, that in and of itself is quite juicy. But we didn't really have any information beyond that. Kudos actually to the claimant's attorney to be right. Like, I guess, he. I mean, I guess it's going to be found out. Sure. Right. Uh, So I guess he's not one of those claimant's attorneys that, you know, you're thinking like is just trying to hide everything from us. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Claimant's attorney tells adjuster. Adjuster tells us. So like Emily, this is I know this is Morgan's case, but. (laughs) Obviously, you guys have talked about this because this was, like, so scandalous. Like, what were your first thoughts when you, you heard this? Um, no, I honestly think it's it's crazy. I mean, it's not every day that your claimant's in federal penitentiary. <laughs> that is very um, fair. So I definitely think it's, it's crazy, and it's kind of a weird situation regarding, like, all other um, defenses that you can raise. Like, labor market, Section 114A, I feel like it sets the scene. It's, like, a very weird... Yeah, what a weird guy also to think that... If you were arrested for doing something, to your point, right? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, can't you be working, <laughs> right? Like you're not a you're not being arrested for staying at home because that's what we're paying you for, right? You can't work, so you're staying home. You're arrested for doing something. So Morgan, like, did we ever find out like what this guy was doing? Obvious segue. I know what he. he's doing since we talked about it but what did we find out he did yes so at the uh hearing that happened quite soon after we found that he was in jail for something uh we learned that he is a drug mule specifically bringing drugs across state lines and again is in um jail for an indeterminate amount of time so you know we learned a little bit more (laughs) 
but the, across state lines, yeah, that's across important state lines. too. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, makes it you federal. guys yeah. want to go to law school, right? That is the interplay of the Commerce Clause. Uh, so now it's a federal offense, which uh, makes it a little bit more scary. Yes. So, how, like, did you, how did we learn that he was a drug mule? Like, who told us? Or did you find out? It was, was a- Clayman's counsel, actually. Again, did the very Clayman's attorney man. use the word drug mule? <laughs> yes, I believe so, because <laughs> that's how it was reported to us. <laughs> it's like, if you want to, like, beef up your, your clients, like, uh, you know, he was conducting a business transaction <laughs> of a substance, right? It's like, no, it was a drug mule. Yep, yep. So, you know, maybe at that point he said, well, it's kind of too late for me to... <laughs> For pleasantries, so let me just be real honest about it. Right, I guess if you're the if you're the upstanding citizen to report it, then maybe let's just get it out in the air. So Emily, you were talking about one fourteen a too. Like, what is what does that mean uh, for this case? Like, how, how are you gonna apply one fourteen a for this guy? Um, so Morgan and I actually talked about this earlier, um, but basically, like he was working and getting benefits, but didn't tell anybody he's working because. Oh. <laughs> right, right. You're not Good on him for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're taking He's work status like... testimony at a hearing. Yeah. Like, yes. Uh, so what I have been doing uh, is <laughs> transporting a controlled substance illegally against uh, or, or across state lines. So he's working. He's not disclosing it, and he's receiving indemnity benefits from us. Right. Yeah. So. What do we what do we do from there? Like, wh- or what did we do from there? What, what's 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 going on with the case, Morgan? So right now, as you can only imagine, payments have been suspended, and yes. the matter was marked um, no further action. So we told the client that we um, would again one fourteen a is certainly an option here, um, and then should the claimant attempt to reinstate his benefits, that this would be the perfect defense to raise in defense of him reinstating those benefits. <laughs> It's almost like he knows, right? He knows that that's going to be a thing. So we have this legal defense ready or at the ready for this person, which like naturally leads itself to like what other like next action? What what can we do with this case now that we have this leverage? Certainly try to settle it. Yeah. Because um, I, I would think it's a... Fairly strong 114A argument, considering the circumstances. So, um, you know, we, depending on, obviously it's not getting paid right now, and the mandatory and discretionary penalties might be imposed, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it would be a good idea to put in a much lower settlement number than was uh, previously maybe offered. So the, you know, this site, or excuse me, this case involves LWEC sites and SLU sites. So his... Settlement potential is potentially, again, very high, but now it can be cut down significantly <laughs> with uh, his careless actions. Okay. So I guess we got the workers' comp part out of the way, but we'll, obviously everyone wants to know is, what's happening with this court case? <laughs> like, what? what is this? Is, this, is he up for trial? Is he... Is he on bail, out on bail? What, what's going on? You guys know? Okay, so assuming my uh, research has led me to the right place, he theoretically... Assuming it's the correct claimant. How Same many name. how many lawyer words do you want to put in this? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta prepare. Uh, in case they listen to this, they might have something against me. Um, so he, I believe, has a hearing on April twelfth, which is in just a few days from now, at the Westchester Criminal Court. 
Um, again, I looked up the charge code that he was charged with, and it's possession of a controlled substance in the third degree. So it adds up. It's the same name. It's the same state. Uh, certainly criminal. So do we take a field trip to yes. Westchester Court live, on I, April twelfth? Can we do that? Because I would love to. Is that like a? <laughs> I, I don't think the client needs us to do that. Maybe like a, a more of like a um, like a volunteer. Like let's just see. No, and it, honestly, I I'm saying it more in jest than anything else because you know I, I almost don't want to go <laughs> for for, for so many reasons. <laughs> I thought it'd be but, get the tea. Is I guess the way that you found out Morgan, looking it up through you know criminal database or or you know eCourt civil database. We can probably figure out what happened after the fact, yeah. right? Um, so, I don't know. I guess maybe do you think that someone who's doing this was doing this before our work accident? Is this something that, like, oh, I'm hurt, so now I'm going to turn to this life? What do you guys think? Uh, my first thought, and I surely don't have experience, but my first first thought would be, that he has probably done this before. I'm not sure how to become a drug mule, but I imagine it involves gaining the trust of a lot of people. <laughs> so from just, you know, the Netflix shows I watch, assuming right. those are realistic. Right. Um, so I imagine he was doing this prior to being injured, um, especially as he was getting indemnity benefits. It's not like he wasn't making any money. Right. Netflix taught me yes. that... <laughs> Usually, this is like a pattern, right? Yes. So I think it's just something kind of cool to like make us dig in and, and think of different outside the box ways. So I think it's awesome that this uh, came into being and, and rose to life. Obviously, very happy to continue uh, with the Paralegal Minute. We're going to work on that like, do, 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 do. it was like <laughs> intro music and uh, maybe some outro music too. Um but I think this has been great. You guys have any final thoughts to give about this type of case? Or maybe segment? Or maybe life here at Willis? I don't maybe. know. Maybe. I, I think this keeps everything very fresh when stuff like this happens. Yeah. Keep it fresh. <laughs> because Netflix taught me to keep it fresh. <laughs> I think it like mixes it up. Yeah. You know, because you're so used to like, you're like running the mill, like regular everyday person and right. claim it. And slip and fall. Yeah, Man. exactly. But this one is like completely like, I mean, I think when anything crazy happens to a claimant or a claimant does anything crazy, you're kind of like, what the heck is going on? Um, so I, I think it definitely like juices things up a little bit, you know. Makes it more fun. Makes <laughs> yeah. it fun. Okay, so guys, uh, the debut segment of the Paralegal Minute, because it's been a minute, uh, I think has been a success. Uh, I don't think I want to cut anything out of this. <laughs> I think I'm going to keep every 12 to 13 minutes that have currently been recorded. It's going to be a great success. So for Morgan Celentano, Emily Delanis Mocha, and my senior associate Jeremy Janis in a previous segment, this is Christian Cisan reminding you to defend from day one.